Section 4 of Four Science Fiction Novellas This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Four Science Fiction Novellas by Harl Vincent The Copper-Clad World, Chapter 4 Before the Council Pagrani lost no time in reporting the incident to the Zara. The earthmen were hustled to the throne room of the palace where the leopard woman sat in conference with her advisers. An ominous silence greeted their entrance. Ugly faces leered at them from the long table. What is it, Pagrani? The Zara's chalky face went whiter still. The Rulans, Your Majesty, they have endeavored to communicate with the prisoners. Did they succeed? Cleon's voice was terrible in his fury. They did not. I destroyed the messenger, and the message itself was lost in the jungle where Carson flung it. The Zara shot a fleeting glance in Blaine's direction, and permitted herself the ghost of a smile. It is well, she breathed, but it must not happen again. Have Theodore brought to me. Pagrani turned off to do her bidding, and Blaine turned uncertainly to follow. You will remain, Carson, you and Farley. The incisive voice of the leopard woman halted him in his tracks. Theodore was chief of the Rulans, it developed. There was but a handful of them in the realm, and they were the last survivors of the civilization of Europa, descendants of those original brave souls who had settled on Io as a last resort in the effort to perpetuate their kind. He was a magnificent creature, this Theodore, tall and straight in his muscular leanness and with wide-set gray eyes in the face of a greek god olive-skinned like the messenger he was and with the high forehead of an intellectual he swept the assemblage with a haughty gaze when he faced the zara theodore she snarled it has come to my ears that a rulon lad carried a message to one of my guests from earth what means this i know nothing about it your majesty Theodore gazed into the wicked eyes, unafraid. "'You lie. There is some treasonable scheme in which you had hoped to enlist their help. You will tell me the entire story, here before the council.' "'There is nothing to tell.' "'You will confess, or I shall destroy every rulon in the Tritu Nagaru.' The Zara's words were clipped short with deadly emphasis. Theodore paled, and his lips tightened in a grim line but he stood his ground. "'I have nothing to confess,' he said. With a whistling, indrawn breath, the leopard woman threw back her head and motioned to one of the green-bronzed giants who guarded the entrance. There was a nervous stir around the council table. At her command the guard drew back a heavy drape that hid an embrasure in the far wall. There, on a stubby pedestal, was revealed a glimming sphere of crystal— a huge, polished ball that shimmered a ghastly green against a background of jet. Slowly in its depths a milky cloud took shape, swirling and pulsating like a living thing. Then it flashed into dazzling brilliance, and the globe cleared to startling transparency. It was as if it did not exist. Rather they looked through an opening in the cosmos that carried their gaze to another distant point, it was a large open space that was revealed to their eyes, 
a sort of public square where many of the olive-skinned ruins were coming and going to and from the entrances of the circular tank-like structures that surrounded the area they were greeting one another in solemn fashion as they passed and watched furtively the green bronze guards who were everywhere the sound of their low-voiced conversations came clear and distinct from the depths of the crystal sphere your choice theodore the Zara hissed there is nothing nothing i tell you the rulon chief voice was panicky now cleon's snarling command was carried to those guards out there in the tritunagaru by some magic of the crystal sphere as one man they snapped to attention with deadly accuracy they released the energy of their ray pistols it was a shambles that square of the tritunagaru a slaughterhouse agonized screams of the doomed rulons rent the air of the council chamber they organized hastily and rushed again and again into the crackling blue flame of the disintegrating blasts of the guards fire it was hopeless unarmed and unprotected they were at the mercy of cleone's minions sick and trembling blaine cried out against the massacre he was seized instantly by two of the green bronze guards who had been watching his every move tommy too was in their clutches once more fighting valiantly but without avail the sphere went blank and silent and the drape was returned to its place still muttering disapproval the members of the council gazed at their queen in alarm there was no telling what this vile creature might do the slaughter continues theodore she gloated soon your handful of followers will be no more and good riddance swaying drunkenly eyes glazed with the horror of the thing theodore went raving mad in one wild leap he was upon her his fingers sinking into the white flesh of her throat woman or no woman he'd have her life but it was not to be a quick move of the jeweled fingers was followed by a crashing report. Theodore staggered and drew back, spinning on his wheel to face them all with distended, pain-grazed eyes. Astonishment was there, and horror, but the fire of undying courage remained. His olive skin turned suddenly purple, then black from the poison dart that had exploded in his entrails. He collapsed in a still heap at the feet of the Zara. She stood there a moment in the awful silence, caressing her bruised throat with fluttering fingers. She had faced death for one horrid instant and was obviously shaken. Then she recovered and flew into a rage. "'Out of my sight, all of you!' she screamed. "'Out, I say! The earthmen are to be freed, and Begrani will conduct them to their quarters. Go now!' The counselors made haste to comply jostling one another in their anxiety to jam through the doorway blaine found himself released he took one step toward cleon murderous hatred in his heart but he recoiled from the expression in those red flecked eyes they softened instantly and looked into his very soul saw through and beyond him into some far place where relief and happiness might be attained and then suddenly they were swimming in tears the zara dropped into a seat and buried her sleek coiffured head in outstretched arms her shoulders shaking with sobs an incomprehensible anomaly 
this queen of the lota a strange mixture of cruelty and tenderness of cold hatred and the longing for love a dual personality hers susceptible to the deepest emotion or to utter lack of feeling as the mood might dictate blaine tiptoed softly from the room they were in the corridor now and tommy was blowing off at a great rate even pagrani was stunned and shaken but tommy raved forget it blaine growled where do we go from here he couldn't have explained his emotions then even to himself to our quarters she said damn her tom farley swore in picturesque english and we he wound up his expressive tirade we are getting in deeper and deeper we can't do a thing why in the devil doesn't she put us out of the way and get it over with what's she keeping us around for anyway blaine was asking himself that very question pagrani regarded them with something of understanding in his beady eyes but he was nervous and apprehensive and broke in on their conversation to urge them into action the zara must be obeyed the corridor was deserted now and their footsteps echoed hollowly from the bare metal walls pagrani was ahead leading the way when blaine was startled by an insistent tap on his shoulder another of the rulans it was repeating the gesture of the youth who had been killed on the roof but this one had no message he was after something else telling them in pantomime to make a break for freedom and to follow him blaine caught tommy's attention and pagrani warned again by that sixth sense of his turned his head with a bellow of rage he whirled into action ray pistol in hand but blaine was prepared for him this time he wasn't going to witness another murder not now flinging tom farley aside he let loose a terrific jab that landed full on pagrani's mouth the ray pistol cracked harmlessly its deadly energy spreading itself in searing the metal of the ceiling then he wrenched the weapon from the astonished lot and was boring in with body punches that quickly had the dwarf gasping for breath these creatures knew nothing of fighting with their hands except in the fashion of clumsy wrestlers the thud of hard fists against yielding flesh was a new and terrifying experience pagrani was game though and he flailed about with his powerful arms endeavoring to get his opponent in his grasp sidestepping to avoid one of his rushes blaine brought up a terrible uppercut that ended flush upon the lot's jaw his head snapped back and his knees gave way beneath him down he went in a flabby heap suddenly ashamed the young pilot turned to the rulan tom's eyes were shining it was easy to see that he felt better about things now i am a friend the rulan whispered in the lot tongue sent by one who would have conversation with you it is of the highest importance but we must make haste will you trust me blaine saw deep concern and sincerity in the fellow's blue eyes what do you say tommy he asked looking to his friend for approval i say let's go he seems okay to me their new guide was familiar with the passages and especially so with dark and little-used stairways that connected the floors of the huge building they soon reached the roof through a hatch that opened on a small penthouse which was in deep shadow 
and entirely hidden from the runways where the green bronze guards paced constantly. A slender cable dangled before them, and at its lower end they saw a basket-like car which their guide bid them enter. When they had done so, he tugged on the cable, giving a rapid twitching signal. Suddenly they were soaring up into the blackness above the lights of Antrid. The swift journey ended in a tiny enclosed vehicle where another Rulin operated the cable drum which had made the trip possible. The car was unlighted save for the faint glow of a headlamp, and it was not until the lower door was closed that they were permitted a view of the interior of the strange vehicle and had a good look at the two Rulans. Now, the one who had brought them said, I can explain. I am Theodus, son of Theodore. My companion is Dantus, son of Dantor, the greatest scientist in all Antrid. We are taking you to Dantor, who has knowledge of the mad plans of the Lota, and is in need of your help in thwarting them. Are you willing? Why, why, yes, Blaine stammered, looking deep into the earnest eyes of Theodus. You know the fate of Theodore? I do. The young Rulin fell silent, then shook his head as if to clear it of unwelcome thoughts. There are but few of us left, O Earthman, he said then, and I'll expect a like fate sooner or later. But that is beside the point. We have important work to do, work that brooks no delay. We leave now for Trituanu, with your consent. Tom Farley was examining the machinery of the car with interest. This is one of the monorail cars, he inquired, when Dantus had seated himself at the controls. Indeed not. The Lota do not even know of the existence of this vehicle. We could not get right of way on the rails, so this gravity car was developed in secrecy. It is provided with variable repulsion energies that can be adjusted to keep it at a fixed distance from the inner surface of the copper shell. Thus it misses crossbeams and braces. It is drawn forward by similar energies, or more exactly, by the component of a number of attracting forces. We do not display lights, so are thus comparatively safe from discovery. They'll catch us sooner or later, though, of course. Dantus indulged in a fatalistic shrug of his shoulders as he concluded. At his manipulation of a number of tiny levers that were set into the control panels like the stops of an organ, the car lurched forward. Silently, swiftly, they sped on through the gloom under the great copper shell. Through the viewing glass of a periscope arrangement that let no betraying light escape to the outside, they watched the endless lines of illuminating globes slip by beneath them. Weirdly vast and shadowy in the upper reaches, the latticed supporting columns on either side merged into continuous, semi-transparent walls as the car gathered speed. The city of Ilandar was left far behind. Patches of jungle flashed by, other cities, and always the endless rows of blue-white lights. There was neither night nor day in the sealed-in world, only the artificial suns that never set. Continuous subjection to the ultraviolet and visible rays of the vast lighting system was necessary to the growth and reproduction of the plant life that was so essential in keeping the atmosphere breathable. Tommy had forgotten everything save his interest in the mechanism of the car. 
He and Dantus were fast friends already. Chin in hand and eyes avoiding the pain of mourning in Titus' fixed gaze, Carson lost himself in gloomy meditation. As he thought back over the events of the past few days, he could scarcely believe they had actually occurred, or that he was sitting here in a mystery car, speeding through the rank atmosphere of an enclosed world a half billion miles from his own. Home seemed incredibly remote and desirable just then, and the future dark and forbidding. End of section 4